Sometimes, you know, uh, when Frank is up here speaking, he'll like to start with a joke, you know, just a unabashedly, unashamed, you know, just ploy at getting you all laughing and getting some energy in the room. And I would never do that. <laughs> at least not without a reason, you know. And I, I came across some of these, and it was just perfect, because I was thinking the same thing. You know, did you ever notice that? Did you ever notice this? Did you ever notice that? Because I wanted to start with that. And I thought, ah, well, did you ever notice that there are more airplanes in the ocean than submarines in the sky? Think about it for a second. Take all the time you need. Did you ever notice that don't touch must be one of the scariest things to read in Braille? It takes a second, right? Okay, sexist alert. Did you ever notice that arguing with a woman is like reading a software license agreement? In the end, you just ignore everything and click I agree. Okay, equal time. <laughs> equal time. Mental anxiety, mental breakdown, menopause. Did you ever notice how all our problems start with men? <laughs> That's a little bit too much enthusiasm over there. Did you ever notice that sometimes just getting out of bed ruins the whole day? Did you ever notice that inner child and ice cream have the same initials? Huh? Did you ever notice that there are no recipes for leftover chocolate? Did you ever notice that anybody driving slower than you is an idiot and anyone going faster than you is a maniac? Did you ever notice that when you blow in a dog's face, he gets mad at you, but when you take him in a car, he sticks his head out the window? What's up with that? Did you ever notice that during childbirth, the labor for childbirth, the pain is so great that a woman can almost imagine what a man feels like when he has a cold? And finally, did you ever notice that moment when your steak is on the grill and you can already feel your mouth watering? Do you think vegans feel the same when they're mowing the lawn? Uh, you just got to love it. So, did you ever notice... That it seems longer when you're going someplace new than when you're coming back. Ever notice that? Yeah. Why is that? Why does it seem longer when you're going and not when you're coming back? I think some of it has to do with a certain amount of anxiety. You know, you, you don't, you've never been there before. You're thinking about every turn. You're wondering if you missed a turn and you're waiting for the street to come up and you're looking at signs. On the way back, you sort of know where you're going. And so it just seems to flow better because you have an idea of the journey. Now, I've got to confess that sometimes I'm just as confused going home as I am going there, but I'm messing with my own analogy. So what I just want to say is that knowing something of the journey, knowing something of the shape, at least, of the way, helps us. It gives us a sense of confidence about following. It gives us a sense of going there. I mean, do you remember the old days? <laughs> Some of you, I know you're old enough to remember fold-out maps, Remember those things? You fold them out, you have to lay them on the steering wheel, and you're trying to look, and you're trying to find. Or even worse, you remember those Thomas guides? Oh my gosh, big old fat books, and you had an index where you had to look up an address, 
And then it gave you this code. It was a page number, and on each page there was a row of letters on the top and a row of numbers down the side, and you had like B11, and you had, it was like playing bingo more than it was trying to find where you were going, and you're going, and you had to find this thing, or you just had to get the directions off the phone from somebody, and you write every street down, and now we got GPS. Is that amazing? GPS. You know, the little GPS lady in your phone that speaks with different accents and stuff. And, but I'll tell you what, I don't really like to be led around by the GPS lady. So when I first start that thing, I want to take a look at the whole map. I want to take a look at the route and open it up and kind of see where I'm going. And uh, if the first part of the journey is known to me, if I know how to get to the first part and it's just the back end that I need, then I like to mess with the GPS lady. Have you ever done that? Just go different routes and turn different place, ways and, and, and just see what she does. What does she do? You know? It's amazing. You keep turning and then she just recalculates. And I remember this one time I, I thought I knew where I was going and she told me to turn right. And I said, no, but I know it's left. And so I turned left and I'm going and going and realized I was on the wrong freeway. And she was right, of course. But uh, I have to hand it to the GPS lady, though. It's like no matter how many times I don't turn where she says, she just recalculates and tries again. She doesn't really care. You know, after a while, you would think her eyes have got to be rolling back in her head. And the next thing out of her mouth is like, are you kidding me? You know, I could get a monkey here faster or something. But she doesn't do that. She's just calm. She just recalculates. She never loses her cool. Her accent stays the same, whatever you programmed it to be. You know, I think we could learn a lot from the GPS lady (laughs) in terms of this. But it helps to have this overview. It helps to have this, this root in our heads, the shape of it, where it's going generally, so that it's easier to be able to follow with confidence, even if you're following street by street. Now, if you think there's an analogy coming, yes, you're right. Because life is like this. The spiritual journey is like this. We really want some sort of spiritual GPS, you know, a God positioning satellite or system or something. We want that map. We want that street-by-street guide as we move through life so that we can avoid all the pitfalls, we can avoid anything that's unpleasant, and we can go exactly where we want to go. We want signs. We want a plan. We want God's will that we understand is a step-by-step, street-by-street direction. We always have. This is what we crave because of our fear. And because we can't see what's coming in the future in the dark. And it's this way every, everywhere, every generation. Take a look at Matthew 24. This is where Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And he was just finished saying, you know, you see this temple? Not one stone is going to be left on top of the other. And of course, that kicks the, the ant's nest and everybody is running around. And as he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately after he said this publicly and said, tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. They want a sign. It's natural, right? You want a sign. You want to know where this is going. You want to know when this is coming. But Jesus answers and says to them, See to it that no one misleads you. And then he goes into 30 verses of a description of a time, a description of a condition, a description of an environment in which you can see the seasons coming, but no specifics. He doesn't give them next Tuesday this is going to happen. He's just telling them this is what is generally going to be going on. This is the shape of it. 
And then he says at verse 34, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and that hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. And those of you who have been in the last few weeks listening, you know that he's, re, you know, he's alluding to the Jewish wedding ceremony there. But the point that he's making is you're not going to get the kind of sign that you're looking for. You're not going to get that specific street-by-street direction. You're going to get something general. Look at Luke 17. Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered and said to them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there it is. For behold, the kingdom is in your midst. And so he's giving them a general paradigm shift, a direction change. But nothing specific, nothing to hang your hat on. That the journey is something different than you think it is. And it's going to operate on different principles. You're going to get a view of the overall shape of the map, but the street-by-street directions are up to you. John 14. And... You know the way that I am going. He's saying this right before he's going to the cross at the Last Supper. But Thomas speaks up and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And it's enough for us. And Jesus says to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Once again, looking for specifics. Show us this way. Give me the street-by-street directions. Show us the Father so we know what the destination looks like. Show us these signs. But you're not going to get them. Not in the way that you're asking. And then at Matthew 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, this is right after he just threw the demon out of a possessed man who was also blind and mute. Heals him of the blindness, heals him of his muteness, depossesses him, dispossesses him, evicts the spirit, and then they say, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. That's a sign. You know, it's funny, we look for signs, but even if we get them, we can rationalize them away in a heartbeat, can't we? It's amazing. What sign is enough? If you keep looking for signs, when do you really have the definitive sign? Because this sign comes and then next day you're thinking about it and, well, maybe that was just an atmospheric. You can rationalize any, and the truth of the matter is, if you're looking for signs, you will continue looking for signs, chasing the horizon, chasing the end of the rainbow. And of course, Jesus knows this. And they don't really want a sign. They just want to trip him up. They want a way to bring him down. And Jesus knows this too. So he answers and he says to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So we're looking for a sign. And Jesus says, you're not going to get one except this sign of Jonah. 
And what is the sign of Jonah? You know the story of Jonah? He was called to preach to Nineveh, people of Nineveh, and he wanted them to burn because he wasn't any friend of, or fan of Assyria. So he runs and he uh, tries to hitch a, hitch a boat to Tarshish and uh, ends up in the drink because everything is going wrong and they throw him over. That's what, why we get the term. He's a Jonah, bad luck. Throw him overboard. The fish swallows him up. Three days later, spits him out on the shore and he has his <laughs> time of transition and time to think inside the, the belly of the sea monster and then he goes to Nineveh, preaches to them and they actually do repent. Only time that someone actually listens to a prophet, by the way, and that was Nineveh, the Assyrians, actually listened. That shape of the journey, being called, trying to run, maybe accepting, going down into this place of wilderness, this place of seeming desolation, and then coming back up the other side. Jesus is saying, this is a sign that you'll get. Do you want to know, do you really want to know what it looks like to follow me? To embark on this only way to Father? If you want to know, then this is your sign. This is the shape. This is what the journey looks like. But you're not going to get the specifics. That shape applies to every single one of us. Every single person who has ever graced the face of this planet has the same shape to their journey in infinite detail in infinite variety of experience. That's up to us. Our choices are going to dictate much of the details of our journey, but the shape is always the same. We can know that much. We can know these transitions. We can know the general shape. And then we embark. Can we muster up enough trust to be able to embark on a journey that doesn't have the specific directions? Can we do that? Are we willing to do that? Or will we camp outside the gates of Eden, not able to go back, but afraid to go forward? And we end up doing that sometimes for decades or whole lifetimes if we're not willing to go forward. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us. We're not going to get what we want when we ask for a sign, but we're going to get what we need. Now, this shape of Jonah's journey, this sign of Jonah, is not encouraging at first, but if you look a little deeper, what you find out is that basically what Jesus is talking about is a rite of passage, or in another way of looking at it, a hero's journey. And we've talked about that in here before, but it's so important for us to get this tamped down, because we don't have rites of passage in our culture anymore. Ancient cultures always had rites of passage, especially for boys. Aboriginal cultures today still, if they're remote enough, still have rites of passage. But here in the West, they're all obliterated. They're all gone. We don't have a way to mark out the big transitions in life. We don't have a way to be able to see the shape of the journey as it goes. And a true rite of passage is not something like a bar mitzvah or a debutante ball or a child losing their first tooth. We call those rites of passage sometimes, but they have nothing to do with what a true rite of passage is, which has to have three distinct elements. The first element is separation, second one is transition, and the third is reincorporation. So if you think about the uh, Aborigines in Australia, the walkabout, you all have heard of a walkabout? What happens in is boys at the age of 12 or 13, when they're ready to move into manhood, are taken away from the company of women and children, the village, everything that they've always known their entire childhood. They're separated from and they're taken by the men out into the bush 
and there are ceremonies that are done there that involve cutting and tattooing and different things, but there's pain involved in that. And then the boy is sent out into the bush. He must go on his walkabout for up to six months, alone, and able to survive out there using the song lines of his people and, and using the, the landscape and the marks of the lands uh, through the songs, but survive. Prove that he has the physical capability to do what he needs to do to be a man of the tribe, but also to have a spiritual experience out there, alone in the bush for that amount of time. That's the transition. Proving to himself that he's equal to the tasks that are being given him, that he has learned what he needs to learn, both as a hunter, as a survivor in the bush, but also as a man, a man who is connected to his people and connected to the land spiritually. And when he completes the walkabout and he comes back, he is reincorporated. He's brought back into the village, back into the company of the community, but not the same boy. Now he's changed. Now he is recognized as a man. He has full responsibility, but he also has full privileges as a man. That shape is the same thing that Jesus is talking about with the sign of Jonah. There is the wounding. There is the separation. There is the removal from the familiar life, everything that we've ever known. The movement into the wilderness, the movement down into the belly of the beast where we have to deal with a changed landscape, deal with a vastly different world. Everything that we know is now changed. To move through that, to complete certain tasks that have been given to us, and then to complete the circuit and come back where we started, but now able to offer to the community, to our loved ones, something that was not available before. This is the shape. This is the rite of passage. Where in our culture do we do this anymore? Where are the rites of passage? We don't have any formal ones. Not ones that people voluntarily enter into, except maybe the closest is military service. You think about military service. Olga's son just joined the Marines and came back from deployment, yeah, a couple of days ago. Think about what happens in military service. You volunteer to go into the military. Everything about your civilian life is stripped from you, including your clothes and your hair and everything. And you are given a uniform and you go into boot camp and you go into this completely changed world where you have to learn all of the different nuances and all of the commands and everything in order to be part of a group, part of a team, part of a platoon. And then if you're actually deployed into harm's way, that's another rite of passage. But eventually, when you come back home, like Santiago did, and you're welcomed back into your home and into your community, hopefully you're not the same person that you were before. We're not so good at reincorporating our military. That's why the suicide rate is so high. That's why so many things are wrong. They're not reincorporated well. But the shape is there. I tell people who are involved in recovery, the recovery treatment journey is a rite of passage. It has all the elements of it. You're separated from the world that you know and you go someplace to treatment and everything has changed and there's no new rules and you have to learn everything new. And if you will actually complete the tasks that are given to you, and that's a big if in many cases, then you get to go home again, but you're not the same person anymore. 
You have taken this journey. You have gone down into the wilderness. So few people, unfortunately, actually avail themselves to what this rite of passage has to offer them. The wounding, the pain at the beginning that is the catalyst that motivates the journey to begin with, the descent into the wilderness, are we really paying attention? Are we letting it do its work so that when we come full circle and come back around again, we are completely different? We are not the same people anymore. These are two instances where we can kind of see rites of passage. But it's difficult for us because we don't have this voluntary system anymore. Mostly what happens to us is involuntary. Now make no mistake about it. We have all been involved in rites of passage, every single one of us, and we will continue to be involved in them over and over and over again. Or at least I should put it this way. We are given the opportunity to enter into rites of passage. But whether we accept them or not is a completely different thing. Every time we are presented with a wounding, with pain, with loss, in any of its forms, that if it's severe enough, it separates us from the world that we've known, the familiar life that we've always known. A death can do that especially the death of someone in your immediate family, the death of a spouse, the death of a child. How much does that change your world? Everything that you knew, everything that your world was built upon is now changed. It can be the loss of a job. It can be illness. It can be the loss of a limb. It could be an accident. It could be abuse. How are women changed when they are molested or they are abused in some way? All these things are enough of a jolt enough of a separation to radically change our world. Now we have a choice. We're being called on this journey. We're being called like Jonah was called. But are we willing to accept? Or are we going to double down, try to make a U-turn, because the GPS lady told us to go this way, to U-turn and try to go back and rebuild what we had? Not to actually take time to fully enter this new world, to find out what the rules are, to find out what the tasks are that we are meant to complete in some way so that we can come back and make this complete circuit. Divorce is another one. For me personally, that was, that was my pain. That was what happened. It was a 15-year build-up to the loss of my first marriage. That cut, that separation completely rocked my world. Everything that I thought I was was slowly being chipped away, but that was the final piece. As a Catholic, to be a divorced man was unthinkable. To be putting my three-year-old daughter through what she was going to be through was unthinkable. That cut, that was a hard line of demarcation. I couldn't continue anymore the way that I was. My choice at that time was either to try to go back and pick up the thread somehow from what, my adolescence, I could start back there last time that I was happy, or I could move forward. And I chose to move forward. I chose to try to find some kind of meaning and purpose that made sense. But you see how life will continue to hand us opportunities. And more and more egregious ones, the more we kick the can down the road, the more that we don't answer the call. This is the shape of the journey. We all have equal access to it. 
But when we usually get hit with some kind of calamity, some kind of trauma, we start looking for signs of a way out, try to establish our, reestablish our old life. Or we pray to God to ask him to restore what was lost, to try to pick up those pieces and reestablish the life that we had before we spend any time exploring this new terrain, trying to make that U-turn. You know, there was, uh, there's several men that I've talked to that lost their wives late in life been married 40, 50 years, some of them, and their, their wife died. And they're trying to negotiate, trying to figure out how do, we, how do you deal with this? Everything has changed now. Kids are gone, the wife is gone, it's like a complete do-over, a complete restart. And I remember talking to him and saying, you know what, if you can take some time, just be, just be with yourself, be by yourself, take some time, refigure out this life, figure out who you are, You've played all these roles your entire life. Husband, father, businessman, caretaker. And now everything has changed. Who are you under all of that stuff? Life has handed you a moment. And like the White House used to say, don't let a good crisis go to waste. Life has handed you a crisis, a moment, that will kick you into this journey, this rite of passage, this cycle, if you take the time. Just about every one of them ended up in another relationship almost immediately because it's so difficult to do that. You want to go back and try to put something together, try to, to reestablish what you had, what's familiar, what you knew, rather than really let the journey do its job. Really take the shape that Jesus is talking about with the sign of Jonah. Have you ever experienced a wounding, a loss, so great that it changed the fabric of your life. Change life as you know it. Have any of you gotten cancer? Have any of you lost someone? How did that change your life? Everything that you knew is now different. Everything that you planned to do is now different. And even if you haven't had a catastrophic loss, like I'm talking about, we've all experienced Losses in the shape of obstructions, challenges, things come up where our trajectory and our agenda, everything that we were about, suddenly is no longer possible. And we have to change. We have to try something else. That's another loss. To move from one world to another, one set of circumstances to another, in this scenario is our opportunity to really follow Jesus and start to figure out who we really are, to find out who this identity, who this person is beneath the roles that we played that became so familiar that we didn't even see them anymore. We didn't question them anymore. We just blindly played them out. And now it's like the, the curtain is ripped open, the blinds are opened, and we're looking at life completely differently. The tendency, the temptation will be to run back and put it all back together again. To feel safe again. To feel familiar again. But if we can resist that, if we can stay right where we are and move forward in that, see what that reveals. We can circle around. And it's not that the things that we lost will never be restored. But if we restore them too soon, if we restore them artificially, we don't learn the lesson that the shape of the journey can give us. We want signs from God so that we can avoid the losses and the traumas of life, don't we? Why do we want the street map? Why do we want the, the uh, God GPS? 
because we want to avoid all these things. And yet, the signs are. The pain is the sign of Jonah. The pain is what Jesus is saying is the sign of you moving forward on this way of mine if we will actually enter the landscape of this new world of a life presented. Learn to navigate, learn to transition within it rather than simply trying to rebuild. At John twenty twenty nine, Jesus says something that's really interesting. This is in the context of Thomas, the doubter, who said, I'm not going to believe that your Jesus is really returned, has been resurrected until I too can put my hands in the wounds. And Jesus appears and says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And by belief there, Jesus is talking ultimately about trust. The word there in the Greek, the word there in the Aramaic cannot be separated from the idea of trust. So believing in Jesus is not just a mental agreement. Believing in Jesus that has the properties of taking us to Father is actually entrusting that everything about him, the shape of this journey, is really going to go where he says it's going to go. So that even without these directions that we crave, we have the chutzpah, we have the wherewithal to be able to take one step after another and move on a path that only has the general shape, not the specifics. That we have to figure out moment by moment. We need to choose. But the shape is there that gives us the confidence to move forward. Blessed are those who have not seen, who don't have the certainty that so many of us are looking for, and yet still trust enough to embark. We want these concrete signs. We want to put our hands in Jesus' wounds. Of course we do. We want definitive proof and that certainty. But what we get is only this general shape, markers and milestones of the way. Can we learn to trust the process and just keep showing up day by day to allow this to take its course to stay in the place of disruption, of disorientation, and to stop looking for signs to avoid all loss in life, to begin to see that even the loss has its purpose, that even the loss and the difficulties and the challenges can take us on this journey. Can we let the big sign of Jonah guide us to grow through the losses that we do experience? We really have to become more like the GPS lady, if you think about it. No matter how many times life doesn't turn where we say for it to turn, to go where we want it to go, that we simply recalculate and continue to move. Resist the temptation to make the U-turn and go back by the same route, but allow ourselves to experience a different route along the way. Without losing our calmness, without losing our accent, being able to just recalculate and take another step, take another turn, take another journey, and begin to see things along the way that we never would have seen any other way. Life is not what we think it is. Jesus is showing us this radically altered way of looking at life that is completely balanced, that we can be completely at ease or at least completely content in each moment, if we just accept them as they are and not try to change them and conform them to something that we think they should be in order to give us what we're seeking.
It's very different. But remember what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me, through this way. Any other way we try to do this or accomplish this is going to take us somewhere other than Jesus is going. This is his prayer for us, that we all become one as he and the Father are one. And this is the shape of the journey to get there. Let's pray. Father, help us. We are all being handed difficulties in life. Right now, as we speak, as we sit here, we are dealing with difficulties. We are dealing with changes in our lives, things that we didn't ask for, that are changing everything that we think we know. Help us to breathe through the initial panic to breathe through the difficulties, to breathe through the temptation to knee-jerk and in panic mode, try to put everything back together again and just see what this moment offers. See what new vista we can look through and see how this can be the very thing that can move us where we most want to go and really can't see right now. I guess just help us to breathe. Help us to take that breath. Help us to trust that everything is going to be okay, even when it seems like it's not. So no matter what we're going through, Father, whether it is illness or injury or divorce and broken relationships or loss of employment and income, whatever that thing is that looks like it's going to radically change our lives, that we can breathe through it and we can sit on the promise that you've given us that you will never leave or forsake. And if we keep showing up, we can move through the bottom and come out the other side into the sunlight. Thank you, Father, for that promise. We're going to hold you to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.